No one will be admitted after the guests check in. Get her a dog and name it Grief. Good Grief. <laughs> Good Grief. That's a Helpful. great idea. Uh, you guys should just name it Snowtown Murders. I want to name it Scully. <laughs> Alright, now. Let's get... Should we introduce ourselves? Can we start... Can we introduce the podcast? Whoa, 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 whoa. Welcome! That's my new thing. Is this? To Motel Hell. It's the worst. I am... Walking out of the room. Freestyle Disgusted. rapper... Ass disaster. Uh, part-time beatboxer, all-around MC. Full-time lifter of things that are about the weight of a car. Uh huh. Yep. Uh, Alexa. Slardy. Flex. Alexa. This is one of the um, episodes where you don't like the name anymore. No, Gener- no, no. Generation Flex. Generation Flex. Um, this is a podcast where we talk about cool, creepy things. I'm sure you know that. If you've listened to us before, if you haven't, welcome. We're happy to have you. All eight of you. You should get in contact. Get dinner sometime. Um, right across from me, who no longer has the towering, fluffy beard that once defined him. Tower? I was hoping you would just skip over that. But... We'll still call him Ben the Beardo. Still call him a sellout, bitch. Yeah. Listen. Little punk bitch. When a man loves a woman, and that woman has a birthday, and she keeps complaining how she hasn't seen your face in two years. You tell her to find a new man. (laughs) You throw her a bone in more ways than one. You know what I mean? Wow, wow. And, um... Dick Fetty. Dick Fetty. Dick Fetty is also here. Oh, you finally introduced yourself. He always introduces himself. No, you try to. He never Usually lets gets mad me. At you. Yeah, I don't know why. I'm so good at my MC job. I really keep things flowing. I'm confident. I know things. So now that you're all up in the music industry, are you finally gonna pull well, the trigger on public domainia? Or no, 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 no. It's still in the works. It's got a few years before it's really ready wow. to come forward. Can we talk about Eddie though? Because Eddie's here tonight, and Eddie that's is looking true. fly. He does. Oh my god, you put your wig on him. Yeah, I that's my wig holder. That. Yeah. I got a wig recently, and it's amazing, and we have a... Eddie is a... He's a nice guy, and that's all we're going to say We're not going to say anything else? We don't need to describe his skin color for the audience. They can make their own assumptions. I'm not... I wasn't But gonna. Eddie's always excited, and he's covered in maggots. All right, well... Now he's got Now it sounds like we have a locks. corpse that we've put... A wig on that's we Have you ever seen Necromantic? Yeah. I have. I hated that movie. No, you didn't. I did not like any you, part of it. You were drippy wet when they had the little three way. <laughs> oh, and then he jizzes blood all over the place. I was so not good. into so it. So when you're editing this, cut back to when we reviewed that movie and how much she enjoyed it. I did not. I know that I didn't. I gave it like two stars. It disturbed me. The whole bunny skinning We're going to watch Necromantic 2 next We week. are not watching that. I refuse. Cancel the podcast. We're just going to watch it now. Yeah. So before we get into tonight's 
very interesting, very cool topic that Dick Fetty has spearheaded for us. Let's talk about the movie we watched tonight, guys. Okay. It's called... Mr. Holland's Opus. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The classic Richard Dreyfuss vehicle about music and its effect on the generations. No. And deaf people, right? It was The Snowtown Murders. A.K.A. Snowtown. Which was about a young father trying to win back his son's affections <laughs> by entering them into a snowman entering them into the snowman competition and man at the end did he really win that kid's heart over yeah he won the kid's it's heart like over. he didn't even miss all those baseball games yeah uh no that's not what it was about so, at all well and let's i want to stop here and say that if you haven't seen it and you're into true crime or crime films or dark films... And just crying a lot. Yeah, like oh, real God. grim stuff. Check it out. Don't read about it. It's based on real stuff called The Snowtown Murders. And don't read it. I didn't read anything about it other than reviews, brief reviews from people who were like, see it. Uh, ben and I watched The Hounds of Love about a month ago. Honorable mention. And uh, movie. Yeah, it was fantastic. And when I posted about it on the forums that I'm on, people were like, oh, if you think that, that's good, see The Snowtown Murders. And so, uh, in part because I've been listening to a lot of Australian death metal, black metal, and thrash metal, I was feeling like we should go down under for tonight's movie choice. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, my serotonin went with it. And, uh, <laughs> I'm feeling real depressed. Yeah, it was grim from start to finish. Mm. Actually, the first three minutes are heartwarming. <sighs> and then it's And then it bad. goes downhill from It's that. never nice after it's that. It's never nice after that. So enjoy those first three minutes. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, the two movies we've watched about Australia and... <laughs> Love. We should watch. Uh, Aside from, uh, if you find a single mother in Australia, she will allow you to murder people in her house. Yeah. She will. That's pretty obvious. Um, it's should. a lovely country, allegedly. But as we were saying, while we watched it, the genetic stock of Australia is taken from criminals from Western Europe. If we have any Australian listeners, they're going to be very offended. They know that. No, they know they know that. But but it's true. It wasn't like it was colonized by settlers looking to get away from religious persecution. People were shipped there. You're great. You're because they were criminals. I understand. It was a penal colony. Listen. We don't need to placate to anyone yet, Flex, yeah. because we We're have not, not had the ability to a, sell out. It's Listen, not about that. We would sell out if we could. No. I don't want to... I just don't want to, you know, insult I'm not, the entire no, I'm not genetics saying, of a continent. Look, I'm not saying that I don't wouldn't go to Australia. I'm just <laughs> saying... <laughs> That, that it, the history Obviously, listen. it's history how is that any I can't see the history of Australia Australia rules they've got kangaroos they've got the irukandji cool jellyfish don't touch it crocodile dundee and they gave us one of the best people who ever walked the planet Steve, Steve Irwin, Irwin. and his daughter it's is fine, out there crushing it it's a fine country but I just think that you know genetically there's a certain ge- genetic predisposition to certain types of violent crime I mean that's that is a perfectly valid way to say that. Yeah, and so there are a lot of... There's a higher risk of wild, violent offenders in Australia as far as the genetic lottery goes. Hey, but okay. needless to say, uh, it's a 2011 film from Justin Kurzel, and it's quite well done, but it is not a fun time. And I would recommend it if you're looking for a bad time. If you want to break up with your girlfriend, 
Start by watching this together. <laughs> this is not a movie that you quote unquote Netflix and chill to. If, no. if you're trying to get laid or get real Unless close you're the necromantic. Your lady. Yeah. But, I mean, necromantic, you know, no, at I'm least. Say, I'm saying if you were a necromantic, you could Netflix and chill to. Nah, I think even a necrophiliac <laughs> might yeah, be like, this is a bit this much. Is this is a bit much. Yeah, I mean, it was shot really beautifully. Um, I thought the dialogue was really great. I like the way they did, like, literally. There were. It was very rare that they stayed in a scene for more than three, four, five minutes. The really rough scenes, they would stay on longer, but mostly it was like, you're in a scene for 30 seconds and it changes. Well, yeah. you know, parts of it reminded me <laughs> of um, the Twilight series because there's a lot of shots of people just staring, mm. and that happens a lot in the Twilight series. Well, you just admitted to watching the Twilight series, so now well, listen, I think Listen, when I was you. younger... I did horrible things to get laid. Okay, fair enough. So, uh... Did you just compare this to Twilight? Well, well <laughs> yeah. To be fair, <laughs> Twilight's garbage. This isn't. This is not. Yeah. But, no, I mean, it was a well-done film. The dialogue was minimal. They, they paced through a couple years pretty briskly, and they kept it interesting. And for me, I never knew where it was going to go. And because things were so horrible so quickly, you never knew how it was yeah. going to escalate. But you knew it was just going to get worse. And most of... There wasn't really a ton of gore, though there was a particular scene that was long and brutal yeah. and sadistic. But uh, mostly it was the overall atmosphere of total degradation. In a lot of ways, neither of you have seen No By Mouth, but No By Mouth is another like portrait of the slums in London and what it's like to be in that environment for yeah. two and a half hours. Ray Winston plays the patriarch of the family and there's a bunch of other good actors. It is the top five grimmest movies of all time. You just watch it and think, okay, there's no hope. Uh, so if you're into that kind of thing, it's definitely recommended. I would also say it's along the lines of uh, I Stand Alone, which is an old Gaspar No film he did before Irreversible that's super nihilistic. So Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But it was it was interesting. I wouldn't call it exploitative. It was just no. a no, grim wasn't. retelling of a crime that happened. I like the way that they framed Jamie as well, um, and sort of gave you a. And who knows how true that is? Honestly, probably pretty true. Probably he pretty was true. he was convicted of murders. Yeah, um, I know that for a fact. I, like, I read a little bit into it after we watched the movie because I knew some things about it, it, not a lot, but, you know, it. hard to say without being there. Yeah. Well, the, yeah, I mean, the, I'm, I don't think they would just make up. I'm sure he told them that his brother was, you know, assaulting well, him. And, yeah, let's not go. I don't think we should go into the details for anyone who might watch. Okay, but yeah. It, the only thing I will say is, going back to the episode we did on... Asian serial killers or crime. The the guy I did, uh, Fumio Yoshi, whatever it was, Fumio, whatever his don't name was. Don't look at me. I don't listen to our show. Well, <laughs> the the guy I, I had covered before, Fumio something or other, who was like this wild sadist and, you know, destroyed that entire family over a long yeah. period of time. And, that was so and just, rough. Yeah, it was, there was a lot of that elements of, like, just soul-destroying, like, destroying a person so that they're complicit in anything yeah. you make them do, and that's always pretty tough to watch, but is also believable, because that stuff happens. Yeah. So. Well, that's what I'm, you know, not to give too much away, but 
I was like, man, why doesn't he just run? And it's like, he can't. Where's he going to go? Where's he going to go? Like, and the guy had a pretty knows. tight grip yeah. on the family. and Yeah, the whole nine. So what's everyone's rating? Um, ten points, Gal. Ten points. I, I'd give it... I don't know. It wasn't really a movie I'll ever probably watch again. Um, and it wasn't enjoyable particularly. <laughs> so... But it was a well-done movie. I'm glad I saw it, I suppose. Glad might be strong. But I'd give it an 8 out of 10. I, I'd i probably like say maybe 4 or 5. I just... Out of 10? Yeah. I did. It's, it's not my thing. I'm not saying the movie wasn't well shot or it wasn't a well-done movie. The acting was great. The movie was shot beautifully. It's just not my personal thing. I, I loved Hounds of Love. That movie I thought was really well done they were able to allude to all these horrible things without viscerally showing it, which, to me, made it a little bit more poignant. Yeah. In Hounds of Love. A little heartier. A little yeah. bit more palatable. Um, this is not something I'm probably ever going to watch again. And uh, I personally just uh, did not enjoy it all that much. I would give it a... seven severed kangaroo heads out of ten severed kangaroo heads. Higher than heads. I thought you'd give it. Yeah, you know what? I... It didn't fuck me up like the way some movies have done, especially for its darkness. I, I mean, I felt like it was well acted and I liked it a lot. I would have given it a higher rating, but like it just, uh, maybe in the same sense, didn't appeal to... It felt at times... Maybe this is just my own feeling, but a little campy for my taste. Really? Yeah. Because I was just like, it's like dark. It's like so dark. and. Well, that's no, the way I, the world I is. No, I get it. I get it. It <laughs> just was like, I felt like I was watching. Uh, I, I feel like I, I watch things to get enjoyment out of it, whether they be, and I like, I like dark and depressing things. This just wasn't my shtick. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It reaffirms my human equals garbage uh, mindset, so I appreciate it for that. And it's just a depiction of things that happened in a way that was uh, neither celebratory or sugar-coated or anything. So it was just a well-done, here's what happened. Not that we needed to see it, but here you go. So, you know. Yeah, could have read Wikipedia and just moved on with my life. All right. Three, two, one. <laughs> Good one. That was a very we're back. Barney-esque burp. So, um, oh, yeah. I can draw straight lines and right angles. It's so great. All in all. That was a movie we That watched. was a movie. It sure was. I will never watch it again. I would watch it again, but I wouldn't choose to. If someone put it on and was like, we're watching this, I'd watch it. The reason I gave it such a low rating is because, like, I don't think I'd ever recommend it to anybody. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I guess that's kind of almost in a way uh, hypocritical as someone who loves true crime so much. Yeah. To be like, this movie was too dark for me. You know what I mean? Because, like, I read facts and stuff about that all the time. Everybody's meter, though, is so different. Like, when I watched the Poughkeepsie tapes, it fucked me up for, like, 
two weeks. Like, I couldn't stop thinking about it, and it had absolutely no effect on Frank. Yeah. At all. See, I love that movie. Yeah. Didn't do it for me. Totally fucked it, me As up. far as found footage goes, I would, wa- like, it doesn't bother me. It's not an upsetting, like, it was way an upsetting, that it was done. I would never watch but, it again. No, no, I mean, it's not upsetting to me in the sense of, I'm not upset that I'm watching a found footage movie. Yeah. But as far as the whole movie goes, I was just like, this does absolutely nothing. It, like, so. deeply disturbed me on a level that stuck with me for weeks. There you go. So. Then it did its job. This movie didn't disturb me. I was just... No, it didn't disturb me at all either. It's just like, no. Nah. I don't know. The Revenant makes me want to kill myself, so, as always, my barometer's weird. I love that movie, though. Yeah. yeah it makes, I love it so it much it makes me want to kill makes him want to kill himself. Yeah. <coughs> I've talked about it. Well, being as I'm the one who owns it at this table, I guess we'll never watch it again. But we watched it for my birthday, though, and it was fun. Yeah, I know. Then you contemplated suicide alone later that night. We weren't even dating. Yeah, I know you, though. You did. Yeah. Okay, well, maybe you're right. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. Anyway, should we get to it? Disco box. Disco Okay, so I'm going to take you on a trip. Come and ride with me. Take a look. It's in a book. It's Frank's Disco Box. You guys really did a really nice... Uh, rehearsed that. So, my disco first Disco Box recommendation... I got this record right before I went on vacation. Also, welcome back to us, to here. Yeah, You, the true. listeners. Yeah, We've sorry for the five people that listen to us every time we post an episode. Well, we did say in the last episode we were going to be taking a break for a month, so... Yeah. But now we're going to be doubling back on or doubling down on episodes we'll be recording this week and next week. So, we are? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so my we talked about this. No, I knew. Okay, good. Ben didn't know. All right. Anyway, my recommendation is from one of my favorite bands, Portal, who are an Australian death metal band. People call them a lot of other different types of metal, but they're just a death metal band who write weird songs in a weird way, but they're death metal. And they're not black metal, and they're not doom metal, and they're not avant-garde. They're just really good, and they have their own sound, and you just need to stop calling them a bunch of bullshit. I put them on at Mariah's Papyrus Party, and only Evan and I were the people who enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah, you made me watch a bunch of Portal videos in LA. Yeah. That's how this all started, because... I sort of forgot about how great they were. We watched a couple of music videos. I was like, oh, Portal Rules. They're like top five favorite bands for me. And since really I got into them in 2013. So I'm no Portal long listener for sure. It's only been the past five years. But I caught on to them right after their last album, Vex and Void, came out. And when their newest album, Ion, came out in January of this year, I was skeptical. Not even skeptical. I just, for whatever reason, wasn't excited. And knew I should get excited, but just was listening to other stuff. And I think I was listening at that point probably to techno and Portal's the antithesis of techno, so I thought, ah, I'll get to it. And here I am getting to it. And Ion is their newest. It's uh, came out on Profound Lore in January. And it's a marked departure from their previous work as far as the production goes because Portal is all about increasing levels of distortion to the point where you really feel like you're in the midst of some hellish portal opening up in the dirt basement of uh, haunted castles. And who's on the other side of that portal? 
It's Gary the Ghoul! Gary the Ghoul and friends! We should contact them and see if we can become their unofficial mascot, Gary the Ghoul. <laughs> yeah, instead of Eddie for Iron Maiden, we'd be Gary yeah. for our portal. Um, yeah, so Gary, Yogg-Sothith, Cthulhu, there's not even references, they're just directly, they take a lot of Lovecraftian stuff by name and turn it into this nightmarish whatever and Ion eschews that whole image and in terms of the artwork, but also the production style. The lyrics still harken back, but not to the same degree. And it is an infinitely clear sounding record where there isn't just this ridiculous level of distortion to the point where it sounds like it was poorly mastered and all this stuff. It is instead wildly antiseptic sounding almost at first listen and the picture is just like this arc of huge like shooting electricity and this massive building thing it's all silver and the mm. vinyl's silver and see-through and it's it's printed on see-through paper and everything's just it's, it's somewhere between ancient engine of electricity and 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 parchment spells um, and that's what it sounds like. It just sounds like sticking your dick in an electrical socket <laughs> while some guy in a hood screams, well, not even screams, growls in a very ominous fashion. And we have tested this. Yeah. It's exactly how it Frighteningly sounds. similar. So it is, um, it took a little bit for me to grow, grow into it. But once I, I heard, a, I heard it a couple times online and I thought, okay, I just need to sit down and listen to this record in the flesh which is what I did as soon as I got it in the mail. I put on my headphones, I sat in the dark, and I just listened to it. And it struck me as quite possibly the best Portal album ever, and at least so far this year, my favorite album of the year. So I don't know that it'll be dethroned. It is incredibly good, and if you're into Portal at all, uh, you've already heard it. And if you are interested in checking out Portal, it is a very different place to start, but it is an extremely well-composed record. It's under 40 minutes. It is interesting the entire time, and despite the seemingly reduced level of elements almost, every song has a very unique character. It flows incredibly well. It is top-tier phenomenal. And definitely check out their live show videos on the YouTubes, because they are, they are entertainers. Yeah, they, uh, they wear hoods, they wear nooses around their neck, the lead singer, the curator... He used to wear this big grandfather clock piece thing over his head, and then it was, I forget the next thing that he had, it was like a huge witch's hat, and now he does this Bride of Cthulhu thing, or at least he was doing that, I don't know what he's going to do for this album. There was a Pope hat. Yeah, there was a Popey type of a hat, but not in like this shitty Swedish band Ghost, it's way more cool. Yeah, they're like ghosts, if ghosts didn't suck balls. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's, that's right. That's the way to put it. Motel Hell took a stand on something. Yeah. We don't like ghosts. Yeah, ghosts is a dumb band for nerds. Well, not, for, not even. We like nerds. This yeah. is for stupid people. Dumb, dumb dumbs. So if you like ghosts, get it together. Take a look at your wife. So, yeah, that put me in the mindset to really check out a bunch of Australian bands, and while I was on this trip, I read an interview with the guitarist and vocalist for the band Vomitor, who are a thrash death... They're, they call themselves a death metal band, and I guess they're really just stripped-down death metal, but they have this very thrashy vibe, and that makes sense since death metal came from thrash metal. And uh, after reading this long interview in Bardo Methodology 3, I thought, I gotta check this band out. And also, Horror Elogium, who is the guitarist for Portal, now is the guitarist, one of the guitarists in Vomitor. So I thought... How can this be bad? Mm. I picked up their new record, Pestilent Death, which came out uh, a couple months ago on Hell's Headbangers, and 
It is phenomenal. It's ultra stripped down, seven songs. It is in a lot of ways kind of like the new Portal album in the production style of so stripped down, um, but less of a dick and electrical socket and more of just, I don't know, I kind of imagine as if all the band was skeletons and they were all playing skeleton instruments and it's just this like wiry, very thin sounding, but extremely good record that's just fearsome and simple, but has just enough twists and turns here and there to really elevate it into something exceptional. And the solos they have in it are these wild, reckless, dive-bomby, very Realm of Chaos era, era bolt-thrower type stuff that really gets my dick hard. So, really loving that one. So when you say skeleton instruments, do you mean instruments made of bone? Or I think so, yeah. Instruments if, specifically for skeleton. No, no, if you, could, if you could have an electrical guitar made out of bones, that. that's what they would be. Playing. Okay, I just wanted to clarify, because you could be a bunch of things. Now I'm yeah. just wondering what... Uh, instruments made specifically for skeletons would look like. I know. I think that they'd just be uh, easier to grip or have yeah. better notches because you're not going to have the... Um, the skin. Yeah, the skin to really grip stuff and skeleton bones. I don't know. I don't I mean, know. They could just wear gloves. Mm. Yeah, but, I mean, you ever play guitar with gloves on? Why would, you, why would you get a skeleton instrument if you had to wear gloves? Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. So. Solid point. And then, totally, there's a bunch of other... Australian metal I picked up that I could recommend and will probably recommend next time but just to change it up a slight bit I was reminded on my trip of the band that made me fall in love with black metal the first time which was Immortal and uh, Immortal is in many ways a silly silly band and they are certainly <laughs> a silly band now but they are also a delightful band and their sloppiness uh, didn't really ever detract from their music for me, especially in their early era when the drums were just like a fucking mess, the blast beats can't keep up with the guitar playing and all the rest. And the production is just weird in different ways on every album and always shitty. But their Battles in the North was the first record I heard by them. It was on Osmos Productions. And it came out in 95. And I heard it when I was in high school. They're, they're just a seminal black metal band that are... They totally eschew all of the second wave Norwegian black metal bullshit and just sing about their own fantasy realm of Blasherk and aren't tied to like any Christianity in any meaningful way. The church burnings, the murders, any of the anti-Semitism, they just missed all that and said, we're cool. And then they went into a thrashier route in the late 90s that was quite excellent. And I liked their last comeback record. They're having another comeback record now and Abath is out of the band who was the in the band from the beginning. I'll be excited to hear what that's like. Demon Az is apparently playing guitar again. His tendonitis is gone or he got robo-arms. I don't know. But Battles in the North is a great record. And there's a fantastic song called At the Stormy Gates of Mist, which sounds like you're at the Stormy Gates of Mist. Mm. And it's super fast. And just the vocals are like funny in a certain way, but awesome in another. And it's just the guitar tone sounds just like a non-stop raging blizzard for 30 minutes. And then it ends as quickly as it started in here. Sat there thinking, this is a fantastic fucking black metal record. So those are my recommendations. Wow. Woo! 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 Skirk! Put that disco box in a safe place, Dick Fetty. Right in your butt. Right up your butt. So if you guys don't know what this episode's about, because I don't think we discussed it, Dick Fetty, give us our intro. All right, so... <laughs> 
gonna just rip off the thing they do on last I podcast. can't help it. It's what came into my head. We should really listen to last podcast, guys. We yeah. Just listen to it on air and be like, this is such a good podcast. <laughs> They're so good at what they do. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, anyway, indeed. So the episode tonight is about my favorite thing, or one of my favorite things. Which my is, butt. Yeah, Ben's butt. Ben's butt. No, it's about the Finnish noise and power electronics industrial scene community group of white guys, whatever you want to call so it. So this is just a, a genre of music that is entirely based on fish making noise. No, 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 no. It's Finnish. Finnish. Yeah, it's God. Finnish. It's Finnish stuff. It's, it's stuff like it's, um, what were they called? Ready-mades. It's like Duchamp's ready-mades, basically. Would you I know what say that, is. that the noise scene all around, not just the Finnish noise scene, is primarily white men? Yeah, probably. Sit terrifying thing. I didn't know it's just scary. Groups of white guys okay. They scare me. Sounds like a a good time. I didn't know what noise was until uh, our friend Dick Fetty had introduced me to it. Didn't know what to make of it at first and then slowly got more and more into it. I enjoy it. Probably not on the level as Dick Fetty does. And uh, you seem to enjoy it almost not at all, correct? Yeah, Flex? that would be a correct assumption. I um, would say I adamantly dislike it. Okay, nice. Respect it, and like to see people creating stuff that makes them happy or sad, but or angry. But it is not my cup of tea. No. Uh, in fact, Dick Fetty on. Our second date gave me his CD, um, and I went home and listened to it, and uh, it, 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 it didn't <laughs> make me stop going on dates with him, but it gave me a visceral um, churning, I, scared sensation. I just have this image in my head of you going home and like, this really cute guy gave me an album. He's a musician. That's so hot. And you're like sitting down, like like you're in eighth grade, in front of like some shitty old boombox and slamming that CD it was in there. Exactly like that, except it was an old laptop. Perfect. And and you you you'd be like, I should put in headphones for this one. And you just hit play. She you hear. But she did. <sighs> no, it, th- that Which album, album has it? an intro. Which uh, so it starts off album. starts off with the excellent Wicked City uh, intro treated by Andrew for four and a half minutes or so, where it's like you know, the world beyond our eyes and blah blah blah. Like, that's that's my wife's favorite album. I skipped around up. a little bit. I skipped around. Um, Dystopia. Could you tell the songs apart? Uh, there was a track listing because I was listening <laughs> to it on an old laptop, and um, it was not. Still thought he was cute. I still am cute. So, and it's not, and that's the thing. I may not understand or get into noise, but like, like I said, I have buko. Never used that word before. Yeah. I Don't have ever tons again. Of respect for what you guys are doing in the scene and what people are doing. Like, I think it's really interesting and really cool. I just like cannot um, get into it as hard as I try. Which is funny because it's a scene populated by people who are into all the same things that we're into. Well, not all of them, but... A lot of them. A lot of them. 
So the the this topic we're gonna do tonight's episode will be a little different in the sense of I've had the pleasure of visiting Finland four times, and I've I have a personal relationship with different guys in the scene to different degrees, and so it'll be as much my own anecdotal stories and experiences as it will be a sort of more academic discussion of the history of this genre and the history in Finland and you know what it's all about we're gonna play a couple samples for a little bit of some of the songs so you listeners can get a uh, an idea and I'll be posting a recommended top 20 albums um, you can check all that stuff out on YouTube for the most part and um, so do you think iTunes will allow us to call this episode an hour an hour and a half of Dick Fetty jerking himself off no damn that's a shame. It's a good title, though, That's right? That's a great title. Thank you. Yeah. I know. <laughs> it, it's, you know, it is what it is. And since we started this podcast from day one, I was like, I want to do an episode on Finnish noise. And now... To be fair, I've been pushing you to do it. Episode 20, we, we finally got here, so... I've been pushing you to do it. I know. I have been on board and excited. Yeah, I can tell. So, Sarcasm I wanna, doesn't become you. I wanted to get into the history a little bit of it of industrial music first. And, and the first thing to kind of point out, which will be a little confusing for people who aren't associated or familiar with the genre, and for those listeners who know me through the forums or know my music or are people on the scene, you can almost skip this episode or you can listen and point out all my flaws. I'm not going to say everything I'm going to say is... 100% accurate or correct. It's a lot of it is my perception or experience and whatever. Uh, but for those who have no experience, it's worth checking this stuff out and getting a feel like getting a listen for things that are way outside the realm of normal music and culture and all the rest. So it's perfect for certain things. Uh, we like playing video games to it, especially violent ones. Um, racquetball really, you know. Pumps up the energy, you know, so you can move quicker, hit the ball harder. Um, and uh, hate fucking. Yeah, yeah I've, yeah, I've done that. It was a good time. <laughs> yeah. So it was to my own music, too. It was yeah. the ultimate ego stroke. I so. could not sit for like a week after that. Mm. Oh, my God. No, all things aside, I am very interested. I'm interested to hear it, so. Yeah, so we'll, we'll, first of all, there are three separate genres that I'll be discussing as one larger culture, genre, whatever. Uh, and I will speak to the delineations within it as we go along, but there's noise, there's power electronics, and there's industrial music, and there's overlap between all three, and I'll be briefly talking about dark ambient and ritual music, which is tangentially related, certainly within the overall wheelhouse. Mm. Uh, but first, a discussion of the history of industrial music, and I'm going to keep this relatively brief as to not bore people that are familiar and to not bore people who don't care. Um, it started in the 70s, basically simultaneously in Chicago and in the UK, and the originer, originators of it were Monte Casa, Casaza, rather. In my head, he's Monte Casa, so it's going to be we're tripping over that all night. And Throbbing Gristle and their mm. seminal industrial records label. And then in Chicago, it started with Boyd Rice and Wax Tracks. Boyd Rice is also known as Non. He's also known for being banned by Antifa in the last time he tried to tour in the U.S., which was ridiculous because he's not in any way a fascist. So, 
Um, was one of them named Throbbing Gristle? Yeah. Good name. Yeah, so Good Throbbing name. Gristle is, if you look up industrial music, that's the band you're going to see first. Right. Everybody knows Throbbing Gristle. Um, they are well-known because a lot of the members have continued to do stuff, so Chris, uh, well, Sleazy, what is this? Chris Christopherson, um, and Genesis P. Orridge, who's a transgender woman, are still very active in experimental music with Coil, Psychic TV, Chris and Cozy, a bunch of different bands that are all mixed together and all the rest. A lot of this shit I don't honestly care about, and I don't know whether it's uh, some kind of iconoclastic nature in myself or a lack of respect for tradition, but I don't listen to Throbbing Gristle particularly. I've heard them. They were important when I was in high school first learning about this stuff. But, like, I don't really care. There's other people who think, like, they're holy cows, and if you don't care, then you don't respect industrial music. And I'm like, to that. And uh, I don't care about Boyd Rice, um, particularly. I saw him partially... I saw part of his live show back in college, but I was drunk and trying to get laid, and so I left to do that. And there's a lot of the classic bands that I've just never been felt the need to go back and revisit that stuff. It's great, and I know that it's been super important for a lot of the artists that I love, but I care more about what's happening now than what happened 20 or 30 years ago a lot of the time. It's not that I don't care about the history, but I just don't care that much, and maybe I'm wrong, but I can live with that. Um, Love and Radio does a great episode on the transgender woman, what's his name? Her Genesis name? Mrs. P. Orridge? Her, yeah, her, her name? Her, her name, yeah. Um, which is interesting, because they focus more on her transition and her partner um, than they do the origins of the, of the music itself, uh, but it's worth checking out. Love and Radio is great. Yeah, there's also a movie about uh, her and her partner, and they still tour and play shows and all that. But the original Throb and Gristle, their early records are pretty great. They go from full-on assaulting songs to ones that are almost synth-poppy and other ones that are way creepier. They had were famous for their assaultive live shows where they would put strobe lights facing out to the crowd and, and be super loud and, and all this crazy stuff. And they, they, they came from simultaneously not just trying to make a music, like a new music genre, but also were as invested in visual and performing arts and later video art and all this. So a lot of these early transgressive genres and art movements and whatever were tied into multi, like different types of media all simultaneously. So it wasn't like you were just buying a record of people making weird shit. There right. was a whole bunch of other stuff going on with it. They were part of an art collective that was partially state-funded and all this other stuff. And it came out of post-60s experimental music explosion, which was everything from electroacoustic to early synth stuff like Wendy Carlos and um, Elaine Ragu and uh, jazz, prog rock, um, other performance art, the Dada art movement, the futurist art movement... So there's these, all these different things that sort of were, you know, different reference points and some artists were more into one than the others. Vienism, uh, Venus, the Viennese actionists were a famous art movement that were like super brutal in what they did and what they showed. And, and they did all these performances where there was like physical violence or like extreme, like gross animal parts or like harming the artists and all this crazy shit. So that was all big influences on the genre early on. And you know, it wasn't always decidedly transgressive, but that was definitely a, an aim for a lot of the people early on. It was like to shake things up in Thatcher, England, or to shake things up in 
the you know post love generation U.S. and then elsewhere in the world, but those were the two primary places. Um, they were also influenced by writers J.G. Ballard, Tristan uh, Tazara, Marquis de Sade, Frederick Nietzsche, uh, Marshall McLuhan, who is famous. He's a philosopher who said the medium is the message, which applies in a bunch of different ways. But Walter Benjamin, um, early essential artists, like I said, Boyd Rice, Controlled Bleeding is one. They're from Boston. They were more. They weren't very right in the beginning of um, industrial, but pretty early on. Cabaret Voltaire from Sheffield, who started as being this way more tape music and harsh, and then they got into like really funky synth stuff in the eighties, and and then later the one guy Richard H. Kirk, he does all sorts of great remixes and did everything from reggae to all sorts of like ambient stuff. Uh, Throbbing Gristle and SPK, who are essential to the growth of power electronics and harsh industrial, and they were from Australia. They went into a sort of dance industrial era, and then the one guy left and now is a successful music composer for Hollywood films. And then a little bit later in the 80s, essential industrial artists are Coil, Clock DVA, White House, who are the original, basically, power electronics band. Nocturnal Emissions, Sleep Chamber. I'm omitting tons of names. If you're into the genre, I apologize. I'm just trying to give a very brief and overview into it. And then I want to touch a little bit on uh, the origin of power electronics as well, mm. because that's really what a lot of the Finnish noise scene is more of a Finnish power electronics scene, unlike other countries. And it's important to understand the distinction. So industrial, especially early on, had no rules as to what it could sound like. And there were, you know, like I said, synth poppy tracks and, and all sorts of stuff. Some of it was pleasant, some of it wasn't. Power Electronics from the beginning was way harsh, way atonal. It's more musical than noise in the sense of a lot of early Power Electronics had a sort of essential, like, re repetitive characteristics in the song, synth pulses or certain types of feedback that were just, like, repeated in a way that didn't make it so spastic or uh, freeform as noise mm -hmm. music was in the 80s or and continues to be. Power Electronics definitely had more of, there was something a little bit closer to normal musicality to grip onto, but the sounds that were being used were of the type that were wildly assaultive. And the term itself comes from the liner notes in White House's Psychopathia Sexualis, which was their seventh album from 1982, uh, which is the name of a book. Oh, God damn, did I not write that down? Anyways, this uh, philosopher from before that's basically psychopathosexualist shows up so many times and um, in transgressive music generally, and it's just like a great turn of phrase. And White House is still, they're not around anymore, but William Bennett continues his cut hands, and Philip Best, who wasn't an original member of White House, but was an important uh, member during the best years of White House, goes on as consumer electronics, but they're like one of the, pen, they're probably the penultimate power mm -hmm. electronics band. If you have ever heard of power electronics, you've heard of White House. Mm -hmm. Well, let me let me ask you a question, yeah. mainly for the people who don't know about these genres of music. These aren't people on stage playing guitars and singing to a mic. Yeah, so uh, with industrial, with power electronics, with noise, you can use traditional instruments, but you can also use any other kinds of things and in the 70s and 80s, there was a lot of focus on new technology, a lot of which is wildly crude by today's standards, hard to use or super expensive, but everything from using tape manipulation, which is to use reel-to-reel -reel tapes or cassette tapes or 
you know, other types of magnetic tape as a way to record sound or also manipulate it live or both. Mm. Um, synthesizers in various different fashions, uh, microphones connected to guitar pedals or connected to synthesizers as a way to process the sound. I mean, using metal uh, barrels, beating on them with, you know, metal mallets. Mm. Test departments, and it's really important, they were, they were a leftist-leaning industrial band from the UK who were looking at workers' rights and all sorts of other stuff. They had all these manifestos. They were, like, important. They were political. They were serious-minded. But they would make, essentially, like, marching songs on industrial drums and all this mm. and reflected the culture of the, the hard laborers that they were right. basically representing, essentially, in a certain way. And, um, you know, or you would have guitars, but play them in a non-traditional way most of the time, or, you know, use a screwdriver to play your guitar or do all sorts of stuff, make homemade yeah. instruments or noise, um, generators. And there's really no textbook. It now, 30 years later, power electronics noise, but especially power electronics has certain idolized sounds like the Korg MS-20 or the old Wasp synthesizers and certain other key synths that we think of as being like, that's a power electronic synth or that's mm -hmm. a power electronic sound. So there's way less diversity in the sound oftentimes now than there was before because everybody wants it to sound a certain way that's like classic and identifiable. Mm -hmm. Whereas, and then there are a lot of other people who are like, no, we're not doing that. We're going to continue to explore our options. But it because it has eventually become a, a, a genre with sort of, certain levels of boundaries and rules as to what it makes it power electronics, um, people do get stuck in to being much less adventurous than they would have been in the 80s or 90s when there were no rules and or less rules. And it was all about pushing technology to its limits to create something uncomfortable or queasy or whatever. But there's a lot of different ways to do it. You can skin this cat a million ways, so... Um, wow. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm going to focus on, not all of these artists are part of it, but a lot of them are. And as far as a cohesiveness as a collective in terms of people working together for a common goal, I can't speak to how many of them are seriously involved versus just named under the collective because they operate in Finland. But there's what's called SIC, which is the Suomi Industrial Chaos Collective, Suomi meaning Finnish. Um, and the key players for that are Miko Aspa with his Grunt project, but also Nicole 12, Silence of Vacuum, um, Clinic of Torture, and about 20 other things. Pazzi Markula, who operates Bizarre Uproar, but is also involved in Snuff and Xenophobic Ejaculation and a bunch of other stuff. Pekka PT, who does Six Seed. Yasi and Tony, who do Stromy C, but also do Kluoma and Alexima, respectively. Yako Van Hala, who um, does noise under his own name, also does stuff with Miko Aspa for Grunt, and used to do different dark ambient things under Icorax and Zote Aeon and uh, some other project that's escaping me offhand. Unclean, um, Pinti Dasum, uh, who records his Umpio, and Pain Nail, which is a combination of Miko Aspa and Marco, who is also in Flesh Press and other bands. And before I get more into it, so I want to say to all my Finnish friends, I apologize for my terrible pronunciation. Anybody who knows me knows that I can't do it for shit. I can't roll my <laughs> R's, and that's a pretty important part of speaking Finnish. That's a first. 
what? You apologize to a foreign country for something. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah, progress. Motel Hell we should really is have getting older. Yeah, like a sound clip for every time we do that. What? You apologize. <laughs> He's the one who edits it. It'll never yeah. make it in. <laughs> well, are, could you explain, or are you going to get into this, what a typical noise show or power electronics show in Finland is like? Yeah. You're going to get into that? Yeah. Okay. Although there's nothing typical. They're all different. Although there are sort of common key players. So, and I also want to go on to say that I'm going to do my best to, I don't think it'll be really an issue, but I don't, I don't want to disclose anything that was private conversation that wasn't meant for public consumption. So I'm not going to get into any of the personal beefs that I would know about or any kind of other bullshit. Like, I'm just going to keep this... Uh, you know, there's no juicy secrets or noise gossip to hear from me here. So, um, you know, I've stayed with a lot of these guys and I've stayed in their houses uh, as a guest and it's been fantastic and I wouldn't want to do anything. Not that I, I don't think I would have anything to say that would spoil that, but also, um, you know, I just want to be respectful as far as what I get into mm-hmm. and I'm not going to get into specifics of people's personal lives outside of like, I'm really focused on, uh, this whole music scene and whatever you want to call it. So there's a bunch of other artists I'll get into more. We won't embarrass you in front of your friends. We won't. Worry. We promise. Yeah. Oh, I'm not worried about you guys. I'm worrying about embarrassing myself. So, um, yeah. So I guess I'll get into just very briefly, like the history of how I sort of got involved in all this and, then I'll touch on some of the key albums and, and before I do that, I guess I'll touch on some of the key themes. So being that this music has its roots in transgressive art, a lot of the... Sorry, I didn't mean to do that. I poked you. Yeah, that was cute though. <laughs> um, a lot of the, the those types of transgressive themes have like carried on into most of this. And not every artist that I'm familiar with or listen to or know personally or don't know personally makes music or uses imagery that is gross, uncomfortable, ugly, or whatever. But a lot of them do. And Finland is sort of a hub for some of the most extreme and brutal artists in the overall genre worldwide as far as I'm concerned. And I think what makes it different than other countries and other artists is a lot of them have been going at it for a long time, which speaks to a real dedication and legitimate interest in their subject matters, no matter how puerile or gross or perverted or whatever they may be, there is not any kind of concern for showing things for shock value as much as it is for this is like what we're into Mm -hmm. and take it or leave it, but we're not changing our tune anytime soon. And so when you get it, you're like, this is the genuine article. And, uh, you know, I got into noise when I was in high school and it was just a lot of the normal stuff, Japanese, Merzbau, Masona, Wolf Eyes, who were popular at the time, and then Purient. And it wasn't until college that I really got into Finnish noise and legitimate power electronics and things like that. And it was in part because of my old roommate, Chris, who showed me White House's Birdseed album. And like the first time we met, he sat me down and played me the Birdseed 
track, which is just nothing but a sound collage of different victims talking about like sexual abuse and all sorts of horrible stuff for 13 minutes. And that's good. That's how, what, that's what I should do when I meet new friends. Yeah, it was really, I was like, he was like, check this out. This is so grim. And I was like, yikes. <laughs> We're going to get along good. And years later, he sat me down and did the same thing yeah, to me. Yeah. So, uh, you know, but it was, it was basically through, through going to hospital productions, which was the, was a record store as well as the record label that um, is pretty famous and well-known even outside of noise circles run by Purient. Back when it was in New York City, um, I picked up Miko Aspa, the, the Grunt, Chart Empire live tapes and some other stuff and was sort of guided in part by Purient and also uh, the excellence of the Discogs database to figure out what I might be into and and um, really took off from there and soul seek, you know, being able to download some stuff before I could spend my money and back when PayPal wasn't available everywhere it was hard I had to like sort of you know really kind of dig to find a lot of this stuff and uh, now it's a lot easier a lot of it's on Bandcamp or SoundCloud or mm-hmm. all sorts of shit so well it, it's very interesting uh, from someone who's like from the, my aspect someone who's been a collector of like comic books to collectibles what have you for a number of years and seeing companies force collector value on things by being like, oh, this is the special edition. And then actually being introduced to this genre and seeing the things that you collect from it and it feels like it being like a collector's item and being worth more on Discogs or what have you has a little bit more poignancy than it than it does with like, oh, this is this variant cover some bullshit fucking Superman comic. Yeah. Because this is all stuff that's, you know, really nitty gritty like it's a couple guys making something and mm-hmm. it gets put out and they put their heart and soul to it. And yeah, so that's that's one of the cool things about the genre generally um, is that you're talking about most releases getting tops. Well, so the highest selling people can sell maybe a thousand copies of something over 10 years or 500 copies of something over three or four years. And that is top three artists in the genre. People like White House who don't even record anymore Genocide Organ, I don't, I couldn't speak to Grunt's sales figures. I mean, I think he does pretty well uh, with his main project. But most of these artists are releasing things in editions of 200 or less, and mostly 100 or less. So, and then they're available for oftentimes, you know, years. You're talking like you and 99 other people in the world own something. And then for art editions, sometimes they're super small, like five, two, three, you know, even individual. I've done individual things for friends or, you know, whatever, especially when my project was early on, it was, everything was a handmade, one of a kind, whatever. Um, but also, you know, I've got, so there's a snuff, which is one of the Finnish groups, which is a sort of pseudo super group of, uh, six seed and bizarre uproar is all snuff oriented electronics. It's all about basically misogyny and violence and all sorts of like really brutal themes and their first double tape was called Christina unofficially and it came in a black box and then it was two tapes inside um, soft polyvinyl clamshells but then the box was covered in blood and covered in lube and then there was a like uh, opened condom stuffed in the box with a bunch of porno flyers that were crumpled up and stuff and then it was sealed in a bigger bag and when you opened it and you got it fresh from filth and violence as I did it was literally like 
the odor was visible coming out of it. It was so foul, and I was it still living, smells kind of funky. Yeah, I was I was living at home. I was that was what two thousand eight or two thousand nine. So I was you know at home before I'd gone to Japan, and I get it. And my parents are like, "What'd you get in the mail?" And I'm like, "You don't want to know." And they're like, "Oh, come on!" And I like open this thing. And they're like, "That's fucking disgusting. Whose blood is that?" Like you know, put gloves on or whatever. What kind of blood is that? Yeah, like that's the kind of real shit we're talking about, and you know. Now that's worth some money because not everybody has the bloodstained version that I have, mm. and I'm a cool guy and whatever. I don't know. I mean, to me, it makes it seem more visceral, more real, more. Uh, what's the other word I'm looking for? It's just authentic. Exactly. Very well, authentic. And it's, but it's also, it is like they are collector's items in the sense of this isn't one comic that's limited to 10,000 copies out of 100,000 print of the overall issue. This is. 50 copies of something. Right, exactly. And it'll never be done again. And, uh, you know, but that's in part because there is a, just a limited audience for this kind of stuff. And there are some labels that operate on a uh, specifically limited basis to build up hype and say, like, you know, this is limited to 20, better buy it now and get those sales out quick. But all the good labels don't need to result to that kind of stuff. Like, their stuff will sell out. But they keep it to 100 because 100 is reasonable. You can put out 100 tapes of something and then sell them or don't sell them. You're never going to, you know, most labels aren't making real money. Nobody's doing this as a job for the most part. 99% of people aren't. And, um, you know, you just are able to continue doing what you're doing. And it that's just kind of how it works. So the genre, more than almost any other genre, still feeds on physical medium more than... I'd say probably mm. any other genre generally. And Finland is all about that too. Like, you know, most of the best labels run a hearty tape business and then CDs in Europe sell much better than they do here. So there's still a lot of CD pressings. Freak Animal still does tons of CDs, which is awesome. And then vinyl has continued to be an essential part of it. But tapes are the favorite format generally, not just in Finland, but like anywhere because they're cheaper to ship and they're cheaper to make. And they're pretty durable and they can, you know, get places without getting warped like records or scratched or whatever. They don't get scratched like CBs. You know, you can get a, you can dub tapes at home by yourself and they, they cost like, you know, 50 cents per tape. And you make 100 tapes and you sell them all for six bucks, then you're hypothetically making good profit. But it's also a time consuming endeavor. And, you know, there's a lot of noise economics that we could get into. I'm not going to. Yeah. And, you know, they don't really make all that much money off it. Just like this podcast, so go to our review page and write a five-star review on Motel Hell, because we do this for free. Yeah, Motel Hell knows more about stuff I never wanted to know about than anybody else. (laughs) I can't wait to hear another episode of weird and deranged bullshit. Wow, those guys sure do sound handsome, and they've got a girl with them, so they must be family safe, (laughs) and they're definitely not killing people. is the name of the game at Motel Hell. And I bet she's got good boobs. Yeah, she does. She has okay boobs. They're they're, they're pretty, pretty good fan- boobs. Yeah, they're pretty fantastic. Plutonically, they're good boobs. Plutonically? Plutonically. <laughs> yeah. Pluto is a planet, Jerry. <laughs> Your boobs are like a planet. There you go. That was really nice of you. Yep. So, yeah. Um, and I, I was starting to, uh, to talk about it. I'm going to read... A couple excerpts. So there was a book done in 2012. It's pretty much put together in 2011 that went together with an art exhibit and kind of speaks to the overall movement. It was uh, it was a three-way book 
between Pazzi Markula, Miko Aspa, and Yuka Sikala. Um, it, I see Sikala. that it's, it's covered in puzzle pieces. D- do proceeds also go to help fight against autism? Mm, no. That's really uh, nice of them. Yeah. So this isn't the definitive statement of Finland's noise scene generally, but it kind of does cover what 90% of the artists fall under in terms of, I would say, overall aim, style, aesthetic, Mm -hmm. goals, orientation. The book itself is a real book. It's probably still available from the label, maybe. It has an ISBN number in the whole nine yards. So I'm just going to read the intro part of it, and then I'll read a little bit about each artist, which will kind of give you an idea of what this is all about. So, anti-social realism. No longer should transgressive art be seen as a depiction of injustices and atrocities, where the hidden agenda is equally tame as in social realism. No longer should it be expected to depict life struggles and hardship, including sentimental moral statements supposedly exposing injustice and therefore awaking empathy and placing the assumed victim in a mystified heroic role. No longer should transgression be the route to artificial self-empowerment. Anti-social realism answers to the void in field of art, plagued by provocateurs who merely mirror the reality to preach the message of modern humanist politics. Anti-social realism answers to the horde of art activists who swarm in a pigsty of cliches and cheap thrills, only to walk out clean and safe with impotent goals. Anti-social realism exhibits social, sexual, and racial injustice, economic hardship, political extremes, anti-social urges and desires. Anti-social realism depicts targets and situations with no undercurrent of human rights protest, obvious satire, or moralist messages. Anti-social realism lurks in the dark corners of human mind, accepting and celebrating the abusive and filthy urges and interests. It seeks to present situations of abuse, objectification, degradation, impulsive aggressions, and desires beyond the ability to consider well-being, value, and emotional damage of real or hypothetical objects in question. It feels no remorse for the subject matter nor apology for the approach. Hmm. So cool. Pretty pretty, pretty cool. Can I look at it? Yeah, when I'm done I gotta read a little bit more. So um they realized this episode was gonna be a book club. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. So back. tonight on Beardo Ben's Best Lives. <laughs> so for Miko Aspa there's a whole three paragraph thing, but um I'm just going to read the last little paragraph, which says, Aspa considers himself as a seer of decay who accepts and celebrates the role of a gutter artist in providing conflict of mind. The illusion of a new dawn is so distant, politics often enter only as a side product and most often as an uncomfortably and coldly inhumane as the rest of the work. And it goes on to talk about, um, well, how some of the work was made, but also... Uh, showing art from the sexual sexuality portrayed always involves a predatory or voyeuristic angle. There is zero attempt to normalize deviancy or seek acceptance for bizarre desires. The antisocial aspect of pornography remains exactly the opposite. It loathes the apologetic approach of sex art activists. Mm. And I'm going to just read Pazzi a little bit about Pazzi, whose art is quite brutal. Uh, Markula's manifest of intent can be summed up with a few words, hate and lust, filth and violence. His passion to explore primal brute interests crosses over expressions through sound, photography, collages, and videos. Uh, where do they put it? This approach removes substance from the context of eye candy into mere subject matter. His matter of interest are a psychotic mix of sexualized racism, racialized sexuality, 
sexualized violence, sexualized political extremes. His work operates on the level of exaggerated offenses. It rejects the satire of contemporary, supposedly wacky yet provocative unpop art, as well as it rejects the whole notion that his work would be anything more than it is. Hate, lust, filth, and violence. Mm. And so I read a bunch of interviews as well as just thought about my trips and conversations. And, you know, that's sort of the, those, everybody has their own way of doing things and both approach and intent and all that. But it's just a lot of negative shit is what we're talking about. And um, Miko Aspa is... Well, let me back up by saying the first time I went, I had no idea what to expect from these people whose music I've been listening to for a couple of years, like feverishly, to put it mildly. And, you know, part of me thought like I'm going into some kind of crazy northern neo-Nazi nightmare and it's going to be insane. My mom was worried I was going to come back with like a swastika tattoo and a shaved head and all this shit. And then the other part of me was like, Everybody has to exist in the real world, you know? Most of these people aren't hermits in the hills. Uh, There are no Ted Kaczynski's, at least where I was going, or the people I was meeting. Everybody has an email and, you know, whatever. I mean, there could have been a Ted Kaczynski around there. Sure, sure. Sure. But, you know, all of these people operate in the normal world the same as you and I. There, There is no wild mythology to really believe. Um, And having read a lot of heavy metal artist interviews lately, you know, there's always this pseudo deification, or at least a lot of talk about things that are above and beyond the mundane and the, you know, wild and the philosophical and the, the esoteric and the occult and, uh, religious. And it, the stories that you read are like these people that live on like the edge and blah, blah, blah. And mm-hmm. it's so cool and crazy. And it's just like, I think a lot of that's bullshit and maybe it's important to the people that are doing it, but a lot of times like, you know, we all like to talk up what our lives are like more than they are. We all mm-hmm. want them to be significant and special and unique in a certain kind of way. And, and we attach meaning to our own personal narratives. And what I think is quite cool about this is, you know, most of people's contact with other noise people is all through like internet forums mm-hmm. or occasionally from going to shows emails and then sometimes hanging out outside of the context of the scene and they're all just normal people it's mostly a bunch of dudes and you drink beer and you smoke cigarettes and you bullshit about noise and you bullshit about other stuff Mm -hmm. and it's just like any other group of friends except for everybody has a common interest in this extreme art if you can even call it that and that's really the only major difference but otherwise like they're just people like anybody else and I had a little bit of like a shock because they were rock stars to a point in my mind mm-hmm. the first time I went. And I had been emailing with Pazzi, with Pekka, with Miko, with uh, Mika from Unclean, and, and uh, to a lesser extent at the time, at least, of my first visit to, with Penti. And, you know, I worshipped all the music these guys made. And Miko Aspa's been going at it since 93. Pazzi Markula has been going at it since, like, 90, 91, somewhere in that range. Um you know, these dudes have been, like, making this music when I was still in diapers, practically, Mm -hmm. or, you know, in elementary school, so they've been going at it for a long time, a lot of them started young, um, but at the end of the day, they're just, like, normal people, and it was really cool to be invited and get to know and get to talk with guys who, in my mind, were such legends and just realized that, you know, for a lot of the legends, it's just because they've continued to do it for a long time, and, um, 
you know, not that their status in a certain sense isn't deserved because they're good at what they do after doing it for 20 or 25 years. I really like the way that this, the third artist, what was his name? Pezzy Markula. Pezzy ex- explained his art um, to not be like taken out of context or seen in any other different way than exactly what he meant it to be, which was hate and lust and filth and violence. Yeah. Um, and I appreciate that in a lot of ways because I feel like we can do that with art so frequently where we like find the hidden meaning and like want to do this when he's like, no, this is like, this is what it is. This is not meant to depict any social issues. This is not meant to depict X, Y, and Z. It's not, it is literally just filth and violence and lust and hate. Yeah. So Bazzi is, is of the people I know, one of the ones I used to talk to a lot and, and I'll just give this last bit of brief personal history. So I really got into the genre and into Finnish stuff in 2008 was when it really hit me and it was really later 2008. As a result, 2009 was like the year where I feverishly was buying everything from Freak Animal, Filth and Violence, uh, Untergeschoss hadn't really started up yet, but picking up a lot of older stuff and getting into contact with these guys. And so a lot of the albums that I'm going to list in a second and go through and talk about that are my favorite albums are from 2009, like an insane amount of them. When I was putting this list together, I'm like, Jesus Christ, like, did I, what happened that year? There also just happens to be a particularly fantastic year for Finnish power electronics mm. and, and harsh noise and all the rest. Um, but yeah, because of that, my, my slant, my knowledge, my, you know, all this stuff is basically 2009 to forward. So it's been nine years at this point, which is fucking amazing in its own right. Um, but that was really where my knowledge and, and personal experience starts. And I can speak to a little bit about what happened. But basically, you know, prior to uh, mid-2000s, there, and really prior to like 98, there wasn't a lot happening in Finland as far as noise, power electronics. There was some stuff... Um, you know, Grunt had started in 93, Pazzy started in 93, but then Pazzy kind of disappeared after 1999 or so, and um, he was involved in Bizarre Uproar, he was involved in Aunt Mary, he did work with Bastard Noise, which is a famous power electronics um, slash power violence band from the East Bay here in America, but there wasn't a ton happening, and then things started to brew in Lati and um, a little bit in Helsinki and Turku in like the late 90s, and then Freak Animal really started to get underway at that point and focus on putting out Finnish artists, and uh, Kuoma uh, slash Strami C popped up, and uh, there were bands like Order and a lot of projects which didn't necessarily go on, Moosehead, um, Wounded, and some other ones that were filling out the scene. But really, it's like 2002 and onwards, you see a growing um, amount of artists who were producing this kind of stuff in Finland. But the, the thing that makes it sort of unique is that many of the guys who where the basis of the noise scene that it is today are still around and still making music. And there's not a ton of new blood. The past five years have seen a big upsurge in people. And I think especially because filth and violence attracts such dedicated people that can, um, work with that aesthetic really well and mesh with it and send stuff to Paz and then he puts it out. We've seen some more guys come out of that, which is awesome. 
but there hasn't been a ton of new blood into the scene. It's still a lot of the same guys that 20 years ago were doing this, which is different than other places. Whereas, right. like, in England or the U.S., there's been massive changes in who's active and who's not and whatever. A lot of these guys are, like, lifetime players at this point. So I'm going to go through and I, I want to talk about, for me, what are not the 20 most essential records uh, in the overall history or whatever. They paint an incomplete picture. and they This is your focus. list. They mostly focus on 2009, but these are the records that I I love the most, and I'll try to touch on what these artists are about by talking about these records. So the one that like blew it all like open for me was Grunt, and specifically the Terran Degeneration album, which was one of the first Power Electronics albums I ever heard. I downloaded it on Soulseek. It just seemed like a cool title. Um, Hang, I'm sorry, he's distracting me. And the, the first time I heard it, it's filled with samples on the first half of it that are all from Videodrome, which I had known about Videodrome, but I'd never seen it, so that made me watch Videodrome. Love that movie. Yeah, that movie fucking rules. You've seen Videodrome, I've right? I've never seen Videodrome. Oh, God. It's just a failing in your education. It just happens there's a clip of it in the opening. You don't listen to our podcast, everyone. Yeah. Long live the new Flash! Oh. But, um... Yeah, Terran Degeneration was like, oh my god, the pinnacle. And is still my favorite Grunt album, probably my favorite Power Electronics album. It's totally the wrong choice as far as it's not a classic that most people would ever list in a lot of ways. But for me, it is one of the most like essential cornerstones to what I... When I think, like, what is good fucking noisy Power Electronics? Like, that's the album I go to. And it was sort of the capstone on an era of Grunt that started with well, started with some tapes, but then was also Europe over Storm and um, Someone is Watching and there was a couple other albums that all had this mixture of um, high-pitched vocals that are like done so differently now by Miko and um, using really brutal, harsh noise tracks and, and metal abuse to a lesser extent with synth-based, repetitive, hypnotic type of stuff. That album fucking rules, and it's all, the one side is terror, the other side is degeneration, and on the CD version, which is what I heard first, the degeneration side's first, which is basically, I think, three of the four or five songs all have Videodrome samples, and they're just, like, so good. The first track, Terror, uh, is Age of Degeneration, is, like, a classic anthem, <clears throat> and then the second side is all about terrorism and state-sponsored terror and it's just this like brutal and the the last track of it is called no no more calmness of tolerance and the song itself is like relatively low-key and has all these squirming noise generator sounds and all this stuff and uh but the vocals are just like the shrieks of anguish mm. and uh the art is all black and white it's barbed wire it's dudes in balaclavas it's machine guns it's it's like it's fucking perfect yeah. oh it's so good it's it was exactly what I thought Power Electronics was about when I heard it. Mm. And it, you know, it, ha it speaks to the industrial lineage way more than like the noise lineage in terms of its imagery and its style and its sounds and its intents and all that shit. Mm. So that rules. Then there's Petulian Ruli, which is totally the wrong pronunciation, and I apologize. But Grunt's album from 2009, which he's done, um, since 2006, he's done a major album every three years, so it was Seer of Decay, then it was Petrolli and Ruli, uh, World Draped in a Camouflage, Myth of Blood, and then most recently Castrate the Illusionist, which is fucking awesome, yeah. and I, I recommended a couple episodes ago, 
But Baturi and Ruli was the one where, again, 2009 was a year of massive personal upheaval. I lived in Japan for a while. I ended a very long-term relationship. My drinking and drugging was, like, taken to new heights and depths. And uh, things were just, like, fucking wild. And this album deeply connected with me and has incredible variety of sounds and was produced over like many many years and even in the original press release for it it talks about the creation of the album it's all in Finnish there's no translations that have been like put online I'm like missing out on half of the fun of it because I don't understand it but it's about the history of Finland and stuff like that but the vocal performances are so fucking brutal and scathing and just like powerful and loud there's none of the high pitch affecting of early grunt it's a completely different thing it is as much an industrial album as it is a power electronics album and it's just like an impeccable piece of craftsmanship like so detailed and insanely good and uh connected to a lot of memories for me and again speaks to more of this industrial imagery and doesn't have as much of the you know like so miko has this project clinic of torture it's basically i think of it as being um instrumental power electronics it's all about it's all taking processing sound from hardcore bondage bdsm videos uh and turning it into this snuff electronics as he calls it and there's no overdubs most of the time there's no it's all just done live one take put to tape and then release his albums and it's just like the sounds of women being like screaming and abused and then there's all this video art component of it and uh you know, that's like one specific area of power electronics with this sex-obsessed imagery. But then there's grunt, which is way more, not artsy, but just a little bit more intellectual almost, but not in a bad way. Uh, and that rules. Then there's Strami Seed, Dogs of Total Order, their first album. It came out in 2000 originally on CD and then was re-released on uh, vinyl in 2006. And it is really different. It... So both of the guys in Stromy C love Philip K. Dick. They're into like sci-fi themes. There's all this dystopian mixed with World War II, the Winter War shit. And um, they have like rhythmic, industrial, almost like electronic-y sounding tracks. They use a lot more synths in like a much more obvious way of just like kind of stuff and really cool. <laughs> and that album was another one where you know, I knew it was very important in terms of Finnish power electronics, but also was super important for me when I got it because it, it had a lot of like electronic elements that I could connect to really easily because of my electronic music background. And uh, I want to see real quick if I can pull up a clip for you guys. I think I put Ooh. some Strami C. Pulling so, up clip. So this, uh, I'm going to play a clip from Strami C. This is actually from their uh, shaped... CDR that they did for their special two shows in the U.S. back in 2009 that they played. This is the track uh, Heartbreaking Love from God. The CD itself is a three-inch CD embedded in a larger CD that's shaped like a heart, and then the case is a heart-shaped thing that opens up. Cool. And it got stuck in my car CD player, and I almost had a fucking breakdown because like a dumbass, I put it in there thinking it would still play. I was very drunk. Okay, back off. I'm so, just, I don't... But this Let this, me put this non-CD shaped thing into my car CD player. Eat my dick. And so this track is awesome. It is, it's kind of classic Strong C with strong vocal performance, throbbing sense. Uh, nothing 
as wild as they would get into later with 20-minute songs that constantly evolved, very brutal and upfront. picture uh, music for a good time yeah I think so and it was funny because I was so stoked when Strong AC came to the United States it, they originally played uh, this Power Electronics Festival in Boston so I drove up to Boston for three days of Power Electronics I was showing you the pictures of that yesterday mm-hmm. which is a drunken debaucherous it, it was a good time but it was also like so close to the edge of being arrested or dead or <laughs> like sodomy, it was just it was it was out. How did sodomy get thrown in there? It, because when you're that drinking that much, like it was, we just drank basically for seventy two hours straight. Like we went through three thirty packs in, like just drinking in the car in between drinks at the bar. Yeah, and then we drank two handles of Jim Beam, smoked an insane amount of weed, and we're supposed to score a bunch of harder drugs, which thank God we didn't because we would have been dead. But like, and we just chromed around Boston, fucking lunatic drunk from <laughs> eight in the morning until like four in the morning every night. It was really bad. And when Strom EC finally ended the thing the third day, their fucking synthesizer wasn't plugged in. Tony was so goddamn drunk he kept putting his beard on and then moving the amp, and it was it was not <laughs> a particularly good performance. I was so disappointed. But they played a show a week later in. Manhattan, which was its own epic fucking disaster getting to. It was just like pre-GPS. And yeah. I wound up in, the address I got was from Brooklyn instead of Manhattan. And then I'm in Brooklyn and I'm like, this isn't right. And then I couldn't figure out how to get back onto 287. And it was like this whole thing. You're knocking on people's doors asking <laughs> to use their nomad no, quest. No, that was, it was the day that I bought 3-6 Mafia. The, yeah. the, the smoke clears. And that CD and I bonded because that was all I had. It was supposed to be a two-hour drive. And I'm in the car for six hours and two packs of cigarettes later. Fucking, but they killed it that night. So nothing but deepest love for Strami C. But those dudes can fucking drink. And uh, every time I've ever seen them in Finland, for the most part, they've been pretty insanely drunk. And uh, nice guys, um, really fun to talk to. But yeah, wild. Um, so yeah, Strami C. Dogs of Total Order, quintessential classic. All their albums are really good. Some of them get way more into electronic territory. Uh, their last real album was uh, Divine Legions Beyond Psyche on Malignant, which is phenomenal, is full of Philip K. Dick stuff, has the incredibly well-produced tracks. Uh, definitely another milestone, but I had to go with their original album for the recommendation. Um, then there's Bizarre Uproar Purification, another album that came out in 2009. And I was really torn because I've got a, so many Bizarre Uproar releases, and his 
style has changed. He had his original like ninety three to ninety nine style. Then he had a style from like ninety nine to two thousand, and then it was like two thousand one to two thousand and well, really like two thousand two to two thousand four. And then he got into this looping but like acoustic junk metal nightmare sound that was originally how I fell in love. It was just a triple CD album of of just like nonstop brutal assault purification of the highest order. And then he released Purification, which started this more parlotronics phase that was brief. And now he's into this whole mammoth dirge thing. And he's performed in a bunch of different ways, but for the past like eight years or so, it's been full leather for the most part, um, full leather mask. He has like a leather trench coat and then Pekka PT plays bass and he has like a pig's head mask mm. and his gut hanging out. And then he used to be married to this dominatrix t- chick named Tina who I met and is super nice and stories there that I don't even have time for. Um, no, no, I, I want to hear these stories. Well, and there's not so many. It's more not where I was involved, at least. But when I met her the first time, I went to her apartment because we were all leaving to go to the show that I was playing um, from there. And she's like, oh, have you seen my new 7-inch? And the cover is just, like, her on the front squatting over with, like, microphones shoved up her cooch. And I was like, yeah, I just got this in the mail the other day, blah, blah, <laughs> like, We're just passing it around. And it's like not like I hadn't seen her naked a bunch of times in the artwork for Bizarre Uproar. Yeah. But it was just like... This is it. This is, this is how we do it out here. Looks like we're going to have to end this episode early so I can go look at some album art. <laughs> yeah, so her dominatrix name is Fallen Angel, I believe, but her, was it Silent Abuse, I'm pretty sure, was her recording artist name. She did a couple things, but uh, didn't stay with it, and then they had a nasty breakup. They were on and off again, but, um, anywho, uh... Purification was when they were together and it starts off with this just like massive first track and then the second and third track have this call and response vocals where she's doing her like dominatrix brutal commanding stuff and then Pazzy's screaming back and it's all like lick the boot and blah 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 but it's all in Finnish and it's just this like ripping back and forth stuff so I'll give you a little preview of that real quick some nice good times music let me get my boner ready let's get it Real deep in there. Okay, my boner's ready whenever you're ready, Dick Fetty. Okay, so I'm just going to show you, this is just a brief clip from Purification. This was, this came out while I was in Japan. I got it sent to me in Japan. I listened to this album like nobody's fucking business in Japan. And this album hugely influenced what I I was doing with Concrete Mascara early on. Like, I didn't have a dominatrix to do call and response vocals with and stuff, but the type of scathing sound and the frequency ranges and all that were like, humongously influential on the earth. Well, now with Flets, you can, you know, you can have dual vocals, but hers will be like, you can't say that as racist! <laughs> I don't know that it would contribute to the vibe very much. Yeah, well, and I, I do different kind of themes, so it's not necessary. Side project. Yeah. Anyways. <laughs> Let's <laughs> go. 
Flex, how are you feeling? I feel... Purified? Disturbed. Why are you taking off your shorts? Because that's what Why I do. Why you stop? No. I'm disturbed. No! I get funky. She's that funky girl. That's so... something. Yeah. That was uh, pretty pivotal for me. And unfortunately, I don't have it uh, available to show you a clip, but my other big recommendation would be the 2007... Gelsamina Bizarre Uproar collaboration, Assisted Self Sterilization, which was a four track album with two monster tracks on either end and two shorter tracks in the middle. And is this Gelsamina was the harsh noise project of Pekka PT before he went to do Six Seed and eventually, basically, slowly over time, turned into Six Seed, so the transition wasn't so quite so abrupt. But uh, that album is just like insane, piercing like just brain frying high frequency noise combined with like brutal metal looping and just just like insane vocals from Pazzy. It's fucking essential. Uh, so that'd be my next big recommendation. Mm. Then Six Seeds, The Great Corrupter, which is um, the first album by Six Seed that also came out in 2009, has an incredible cover by Screwdriver of uh, When the Snow Fell, which is a song. It's just like, so good. Check that one out. It's been repressed a bunch of times. Cannot recommend it enough. Um, and then I probably should have started with this. The, the the CD that kind of blew up a lot of these bands for me had the first six seed recordings. It had Alex Zemo, which is Tony from Stormy Seas um, solo project. It had Grunt. It had Nicole 12. It had... No, it sounds like I can style on that one. But it had a bunch of amazing Finnish groups. Uh, it was called Hated Perversions. It was supposed to be the initial release on the Institute of Paraphilia Studies, which is a uh, separate label from Freak Animal, but a label dedicated to perversion and just personal perversion obsession. Uh, every song, all the imagery, all the lyrics for this release was all about like the nastiest sides of sex in a way that was just like brutal and fucked up and I got it and it's in this sort of DVD case sized thing but it's like a semi leather bound booklet deal and you open it up and it's just like page after page of nightmares and really good shit and also the last taint track ever on it called dedicated to male rape group which is like phenomenal and a really incredible closing track by Control who's an American artist as well but otherwise it's all finished fucking that came out in 2008 and like that was the other one that really was just oh I need to know all these people. I need to just, like, get into this. And, uh, I did. And got it. You did. Yeah, I got it. So in it. Yeah, I was in it, like... In their, like, swimwear. Yeah, That's something commonly said Mm -hmm. amongst the the noise community in Finland. It's true. It's true. Okay. And I'm gonna skip around on my list. This is by no means, uh, you know, a countdown kind of list of, like, what's more important or not. There's no particular order. Um... Pain Nails, last album, Mag- Magnetinin Kotalo, or like Magnetin Kotalo, whatever. Uh, there's been a bunch of stuff related to it that's come out since. Uh, side, like cast off tracks and live recordings with some of that. Their first album, a lot of people think is better. I liked this newer one. It took a more industrial and gloomy approach and is really something fantastic. Um, I really am a big fan of the Will Over Matter and Bizarre Uproar split uh, LP from 2010. And Will Over Matter is another one where 
Harold Mentor, a.k.a. Sammy Katunin from Ride for Revenge, he's been in a million different bands. He's been going at it since the 90s as well. He has now this project called Rollover Matter that's not exactly noise, not exactly industrial, but is all these weird oscillating synth machines. His early albums were, one was an hour and 20 minutes, there was a double disc one that was like two hours and 30 minutes of just the most uncomfortable, but not like nothing was harsh about it. It was just this very bizarre, completely unique sounding stuff um, that just went on and on and like I used to do when I was doing a lot of opiates at the time, it was really good music for that because I just lay there and be like, this is death. And the, the last song on the double CD is like, what is it? It's like, death is not the end. It is a gateway and you are the key or something along those lines. And I was mm. like, I just have to kill myself. And it goes on for like <laughs> 20 it, minutes. Do it. Like kill yourself. Kill yourself. Get modulated and it's completely different than like the norm of brutal, harsh, like ultra negative sex and violence and all this shit. Mm. It's like none of that. It's like got a bunch of weird diagrams of stars and like weirdo pictures and uh, totally, totally outside of the normal realm. And um, they did this great split where Bizarre Uproar's track is called Mass Grave and it's like this 20 minute thing that starts with Arab uh, prayer chants and then turns into this massive 20 minute juggernaut crushing track that's just it's like so fucking insanely brutal and the lyrics are uh, not PC and the artwork <laughs> is just like you know, really brutal uh, on the nose imagery. They're not PC, are they Mac? Ah, good one. <laughs> Whereas Will Over Matter is these two tracks of like shuffling, queasy, completely different, although it works really well together. They're like a nice uh, yin and yang of, of weirdness. And uh, so that, that, that gets a high recommendation for me. I'm going to post some of the rest of these recommendations. I don't want to go through all 20. But I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Umpio. Pinty is another guy who's been involved forever. Um... He's like the noise hippie of the scene, but not really, but kind of. What does that mean? What is a noise hippie? So a lot of the people in the Finnish scene are, everybody sees them as like (laughs) Nazis or fascists or like misogynists and all sorts of shit, which is not a hard thing to pull from the themes and whatever. Whereas Umpio is all about, like he's just an incredible harsh noise artist who just does stuff that's like not themed towards anything uh, specific like that. It'll be themed towards power generators and electric dams or glaciers or uh, <laughs> the sound of <coughs> insects. That's incredible. Yeah, it's really good. The first One of the first things I heard from him was just the sound of like these giant generators, these electric dam generators. Oh, I thought he was like, all his lyrics were like, focus around saving uh, the earth. Like a, like a, like a No, dam. there's no lyrics. So okay. it's all, it's all just harsh noise or noise or now electroacoustic stuff. And Penty's one of the guys that I've stayed with twice. He's been an incredible friend. We do these big trades every couple of years where like we send each other like huge boxes of all sorts of shit we've either released or been whatever. And he, it's way more one-sided. He hooks me up like crazy. He runs Neko Records, which puts out. All sorts of everything from like high art, uh, synth experimental stuff and avant-garde things to just like the most gutter, garbage, junk noise shit. But he is a fucking magician. His house, he's got a green thumb, first of all. Mm. So his house is full of plants that are full of life, unlike the plants I try to keep. It's beautiful. Same. Everything is either an amplifier, an instrument, or something to listen to. And it's just like, 
he is such a pleasure, and it's all about like basically farts and fruit like that you eat, and <laughs> and listening to basically bullshitting and listening to good music, and most of which is not noise. Mm. And most of the noise guys I hang out with in Finland, we don't listen to noise like ninety nine percent of the time. Like we all. We talk about it. Yeah. Because I'm like the guy that everybody says, oh, you come from America to talk noise with us. Mm-hmm. And whatever. Why do you fucking come from this <laughs> desolate shitscape of a country? You say we. You listen to noise a lot. Yeah, I do, but not with other people normally. It's yeah. a pretty antisocial activity. But yeah, Pinty's this this guy who, he's been in bands since the early 90s. I think he was originally born in Ecuador and... But he was in a bunch of punk bands, and then he was in a bunch of like blues rock bands, and he's still involved in all that stuff. He's an incredible mastering engineer and recording engineer, and he's worked with bands in all different areas. He worked with this uh, famous band called The Cleaning Women that were like this kind of artsy, post-punk, whatever stuff from Finland that were a big deal, and he's all over the place. Mm-hmm. But the guy is he's just a fucking genius, and he's really a pleasure to talk to, and hang out with and we have a ton of fun so you know nothing but hails towards him um so if you're listening motel hell loves you yeah mm-hmm. uh truly but i'm gonna my my pick for recommendation for him is the opium electronics tapes he did or i think there were cdr some of them and some of them tapes but he did a it was a all th- the first three box set together freak animal put it out and they're drone instead of in like dark ambient-ish stuff instead of his normal junk noise and they are super fucking good, though. And uh, if you smoke opium, I would recommend doing that when you listen to it. Definitely worth checking out. Uh, and then I guess I'm going to skip to the last... Well, no. Motel Hell does not condone smoking opium. We are, well, yeah, we totally do. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with opium. There won't be enough for us for everyone but <laughs> listeners to smoking opium. True. And opium can be habit-forming and lead to harder opiate usage, so be wary but also, it's pretty great. <laughs> um, yeah, I wanna. I'm gonna play one more song, and this is this seven inch took me a bunch of haggling with uh, Dominic Fernal, aka Perrin, from Hospital Records back when he had his shop. I asked about it. He had it. He mentioned he had it, and then I was like, oh, I want to get it. And he was like, You can't afford it. And I was like, Oh, come on! And it took like multiple trips of us like bullshitting back yeah. and forth. And then finally, he sold it to me. And How much did you pay for it? It's not important. It, wasn't, <laughs> it really wasn't even that that much, but it was out of print, and it was Nicole 12. And I also got from his store, he did a split with Nicole 12, which is one of Miko Aspa's projects that um, aims are quite grim, but you can check that out yourself. But uh, I, I like Nicole 12. Oh, Nicole 12 is great. I love <laughs> Nicole 12. But um, he did a split, and I have the test pressing. It's one of ten. It's got handmade art and all this stuff. And uh, that was really cool. But I also got the Braces 7-inch by Nicole 12, which is from 2006, which is probably top five most listened to by electronics releases for me. And I just want to play the, the little bit of the, the first track in the spotlight, which is just a goddamn classic.
Oh, I think I thought Flex was really enjoying that one. I, that one really spoke to me. Yeah. Uh huh. So I mean, you gotta get a picture of a sort of a classic to a point. Pilotron's kind of sound. You've got this deep pulsing bass, and then and Cold Twelve is especially great because Miko does these sugar daddy vocals, which are more like whispered and affected, and then he's got all these insecty noise machine kind of things and then later in that song you'll start to hear like metal be like ah, like all screeched and cracked and <clears throat> and I don't know that I've really touched on it but all of these bands to some extent use a combination of synths and, and feedback but they fin Finland's in part famous for there's like more guys there using scrap metal as a primary sound source than almost in any other scene mm -hmm. And you hear it a lot in American Power Electronics now, which has been a lot influenced by Finnish Power Electronics. But like a lot of the artists who have been doing it for a long time have a real, they know how to get the most out of those sounds because it's really easy to record the sound of you banging on metal. It's really hard to record the sound of you banging on metal and have it sound massive, have it sound like it actually sounds. You know, when you hit like some huge piece of sheet metal with a big, piece of iron rebar and it goes like and like yeah. makes all this to capture that you have to actually be good at it and uh, Keith from Mania slash Taint is one of the experts from the US who has been doing it forever and is a great way to you know great place to look but also Bizarre Uproar Miko Aspa um, Six Seed all those guys Umpio they know how to get so much out of it and it, it is like this quintessential rusty nasty part that can be the basis of whole tracks or just a nice accoutrement to the other surging electronic elements and such. So, you know, last I want to touch on, is, so Freak Animal Records, which is also Northern Heritage and IOPS and Industrial Recollections and Emergentism Tapes, is all based in Lati, and there is a physical store that Miko Aspa now has been running for, I think, about 10 years called Sarvi Levitt where he sells a bunch of more normal heavy metal and whatever else, but also sells all the stuff from the label there too, as well as a shitload of awesome art books and poetry and comics and photography and all sorts of cool stuff. And every time I go there, it's like my bank account takes a major <laughs> fucking hit. Um, and it has been really just a lot of fun. The first time I went... I was supposed to, I told him I was coming that day, whatever, and uh, it was like my first day in Finland ever. And I got there and I didn't know that Marco worked at the store at the time. So he's talking with Marco and I don't know who Marco is, who's the dude from Paynail. And so they're like talking for an hour and I'm just thinking he's talking to this customer. I'm like, Jesus, when am I gonna get to say something? And finally they're like, he's like, you know, can I help you? But says it to me in Finnish, I was like, oh, I'm Frank. And they were like, well, what the fuck? Like, why did you say something? Yeah. I'm just like walking around, and the story is very small. It's smaller yeah. than this room. And I'm like, just walking in circles, basically at this point, like picking stuff out. And they're like, oh, blah, blah, blah. And we like, you know, like, why did you, you know, fucking, it was stupid idiot. Yeah, yeah, seriously. And, uh, you know, and then in the time since it's been a different story, but, um, yeah, that's the, the hub in, for Freak Animal is Lochte, and it has been for a long, long time. And then there are some labels that are in Helsinki, although not a lot, which is the capital city of Finland, for those who don't know. Um, but there are a lot of labels in Turku, which is on the western coast of Finland. Um, Lochte is quite near 
Helsinki, I think it's, I want to say it's north and east, but uh, Turku has, um, well, had Undergeschoss, which is now out of commission. I think that Chaos Control has moved there, and they have some other labels that are escaping me offhand. And then there is the northwestern coast where uh, Oulu, which is the home of Oral Hypnox, which is like a legendary ritual ambient, dark ambient. It's got different names. I think they're like the only label in the world that really classifies as ritual ambient. But they do a whole thing that's very separate, although a lot of the guys know all the noise guys and some of them are one and the same. They do both stuff. But the whole... Aural Hypnox aesthetic is one of arcane old knowledge. They've become this completely self-reliant business for the most part where they do all the printing for all the cardstock, all the packaging, their shirts, everything in-house. They're like fantastic graphic artists as well as really interesting musicians. And their early stuff was like they basically made ritual music by using like taking bones from animals, humans, and whatever, turning them into instruments, like string instruments, uh, wind instruments. Skeleton instruments. Skeleton instruments. Mm -hmm. Full circle. Yeah, not even intentional. And um, they did a bunch of different incredible releases. Jakob Van Halle, who's got, again, another person with a long, long history in music generally, uh, did some seminal early stuff for them. Halo Minash is the big band, which later became Arcteos, and uh, they have really kept this table pretty small and there's a couple guys who have come and gone but it's essentially three core dudes and there was a big break I think it was 2000 I want to say it was 2009 to 2014 they went on a sort of hiatus and then since 2014 they've come back maybe that's wrong I've got it here give me one second yeah 2014 uh, really to present has been their big return and they've put out tons of stuff since then um i the first time i went to Oulu, which was in 2014 the show that i went to which was pain nail unclean uh and flesh press they the one of the guys who's the main part of oral hypnox was there and hosting and they had a big merch table with basically everything that was out on the label at the time and I was talking with my buddy Mika from Unclean, and I was like, what should I get? And he was like, I don't know. I was like, I should just like buy everything. He was like, ah. Oh. And I was like, no, nah, I think I'm going to. So I went, and I was just like, I'll take one of everything. And <laughs> as far as impulsive, massive record buys have gone, it's definitely one of the best things I've ever done. I only had two albums they had put out on the label before that, and every single thing on that label is good. It's all the same kind of thing, but every album has its own unique character. And as far as music for meditation or just really good but minimal active listening or sleeping or sitting by a campfire, it has many, many purposes. And it's really this wonderful mixture of creepy and atmospheric and ritualistic and it's awesome. And so as part of that, I want to recommend Arcto-AS' second album, Aymara Double CD, which is... The second CD is like, okay, it's live, but the first CD is the ultimate music to play Dark Souls 2, first and foremost, which is just elevates it beyond other things. But it's like the best, like refined, droney, ambient shit I've ever heard. It, it truly feels like being 
in the woods or being in catacombs, but none of the campy, corny bullshit that any of these artists normally dress it in doesn't have any of that. Like, the cover is this pyramid with a bunch of eyes and ribs through it, and it was all recorded after the main guy came back from India, like, after traveling in India for a long time, and it just reeks of genuine article goodness. And then the early uh, Halo Menashe album, Sioma, is also really good. They've done a million... Language of the Red Goat being another one is really good, too. But Sioma was the first Halo Menashe album that, like, grabbed me by the balls, and I was like, well, i got to check out more. And has these really massive spiraling tracks, and then these tracks where it's all much more compact and creepy. Um, and then I didn't really get to talk about it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap it up now. But I feel like there's so much more I wanted to cover, but I think I've covered a lot, I guess. So it's probably at least a decent primer, although I feel like I didn't go deep at all. Um, I feel like you did a really great overview job. Yeah, but I was really hoping to dig deep and, and, and talk some bullshit about some of the stuff I've been to. I didn't even talk about the shows or anything like that, which... You know, I'll briefly mention Conti. It's a shipping container in a yard full of shipping containers that have been repurposed for rehearsal spaces or immigrant living quarters and storage and a bunch of other stuff. And it's a shipping container in Vanta, which is like the industrial area next to Helsinki where the airport is and stuff. And they have these wild shows where we pack a bunch of people in like fucking sardines for like the most brutal power electronics. Der Sturmer played there and Goat Moon and Ride for Revenge too. And it's the place of legend. I got basically sober because of the gig I played there in 2013, and the last time I went, it was one of the best gigs I ever did. So, there's that. There's bars and other stuff. You're not even really going to go into how, like, you broke some stuff. And... I broke the only thing you could break in Conti. Yeah, I broke a fucking... The only window in the place, which was, like, one, 12 inches by 12 inches. It was a goddamn bad miracle. Woke up covered in blood. Yeah. <laughs> another another time another part two we'll cover that but I just want to I want to put a big mention thanks whatever a, a couple different people but first of all I want to mention my buddy Mika because uh, his friendship over the years has been like one of the best parts about going to Finland and we've really become pretty good friends I would say uh, I think that's pretty fair to say since then I've hosted him once he's hosted me three times um and of course, Miko Aspa, uh, Penti, um, Pazzi and Pekko, although I've spent a lot less time with them. And then my, my buddy Ville from EST was has been an awesome friend, uh, hugely changed the nature of my first trip and made it amazing. So that's that's a Frank's overview of Finnish noise and power electronics. That's a to be continued. Yeah, it's a, yeah you can hear it, it really in your is. voice. You're sad. I am deeply sad. I, like, didn't... I covered, like, two pages of... You have a lot to of, say. Yeah. You have a lot to say. <coughs> it's hard. I'm describing, like, an entire alien civilization yeah. of people who have no idea for the most part. Well, I think you did a great job. I learned a lot. Feel more informed. Do you like noise more now? I, uh, do not like the sound of it much more. Don't play more of it. You're going to. You're thinking about it. I pressed the button, but nothing's happening. <laughs> <laughs> nice. You lucked out. But it is really interesting and, and something I'd like to learn more about. And the way you describe it is very interesting, too. You know a lot. You know a lot, and it makes sense that you would want a part two, because once you get started, you know, what they say, once 
Muncie Pop. They're great. Pongles. So. Yeah, I've learned a lot about uh, the music genre since you and I became um, hetero life mates. And uh, I feel like We're I... We're homo life mates. <laughs> Fair enough. I feel like I know a lot of these strong masculine boys from hearing you talk about them so much. Albeit, when you recently hosted some, I wasn't able to make it over. Um, that was fun. I'm glad I finally forced you to do it. This is all my doing. I'm taking full credit for it. You can do that. This will be our best episode yet. I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell us, Beardo Ben, Beardless Ben. Don't, don't ever call me that. <laughs> Stubble Ben. Stubble Ben? I'm still... What? Stubbleina. It's your best buy. My best buy is this something... This amazing electric razor I got. <laughs> really gets close. My best buy is Netflix.com. <laughs> Blue Apron. It's crazy. It's like so affordable and you get access to all these videos. I fucking wish they would sponsor us. You could just quit life and just do stupid podcast shit all the time. No. Um, my best buy this week is something that Dick Fetty and I have spent the last two years trying to get through. And uh, still haven't completed. Mm-hmm. But it is the... Twin Peaks collection on Blu-ray. Ooh. Now, I kind of try to steer away from uh, recommending, like, certain movie collections and things of the like, because we review movies on the podcast and everything. Yeah. But this is a seminal collection. It's probably my favorite DVD Blu-ray that I own, mainly because, one, it's something I love, and two, its packaging is very, very well done. So it comes in a, this awesome box that has the number one pretty girl of the series on the cover. And I'm not going to go too much into the series in any way. Um, but, you know, it's it's David Lynch, so you know it's good. She's dead. She <laughs> wrapped in plastic. So, <laughs> so um... Yeah, it, and you open the box, and it's got, even got, like, a little, like, cloth thing that holds it so it doesn't swing all the way open, kind of opens like a like a display case for jewelry, and then it's just got pages where each DVD's in. Oh, that's cool. And if you know anything about the series, um, Firewalk With Me is mentioned, and it's also the movie that kind of ended the series prior to its revival recently, but in in the series itself there's this piece of evidence they have this little piece of paper that says firewalk with me and it actually has a little piece of paper that you can pull out of it that says firewalk with me and I thought that was cool because I'm a giant fucking nerd and I like stupid shit like that but um, it's a good series my wife recently bought me um, two pop vinyls from it that I love very much and uh you should go out and watch it and enjoy it, and if you don't, you're stupid. Well, the nice thing about it, too, is that it actually has the pilot, which on the DVD releases, the the original releases, you can't watch the fucking pilot. It doesn't have the beginning of the show, because the pilot was done, and there's a European cut of the pilot, which is different, but because of licensing issues with like who had the license rights to the pilot and whatever, you buy the original DVD set, there's no pilot. And then you buy season two, and it's like a completely different look to the box set and all the rest, and this this Blu-ray set has the whole yeah. shebang. It really is the ultimate version. version of it. You can watch it with or without the Log Lady introductions. Uh, there's a bunch of really awesome 
special features on it. it, and it also includes Firewalk with me. Yeah. So, which is definitely a plus. And the best part about it is you can get the whole thing on Amazon for twenty four ninety nine. Which is not bad for that amount of hours on Blu-ray. Yeah, it's like 30 hours. Yeah, it's less than a dollar an hour. Yeah. Which, you know... You can't get that at a strip club. You can't get that most places for anything. You go to the dentist's office, you're there for an hour, that's like a thousand dollars. It's not a thousand. It's like a thousand dollars. Depends on the work you need done. Quite frankly, yeah, I'm always like, do my bush. They're like, that. Where the dentist? <laughs> where am I? Give me more gas. So, if you guys have a chance, we have a Facebook. If you go on Facebook and type in Motel Hell Podcast, mm-hmm. we will pop up. I do occasionally update it. Um, if you guys would like to get involved, suggest episode ideas, or just say hi, um, let us know. We actually also have an email account, which has never gotten an email, which is motelhellpodcast at gmail.com. We have an email? We do have an email. I set up an email for wow. you. Wow. There's so many nudes to that email. Yeah. We That's have a, fine. We, if you want to send us nude pictures and you are of age, male or female yeah. or somewhere in between. Yeah, we don't care. We, we don't want care. Them. We love them. We won't repost them. We'll, nope. We'll Unless you create a little to. archive. Unless you want us to. Yeah. If you want it's us to, insane. if you want us to, we'll create a guidebook of sexy motel hell fans. Yeah. So... We also have an Instagram Motel Hell podcast, and um, we're on iTunes and SoundCloud. And a bunch of other apps that we don't know how we got on. Um, If you do not have an iPhone, uh, don't text me. I don't want to see any green text, number one. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And number two, just go on to whatever podcast app you have, type in Motel Hell. You'll find us. Please, please, please write a review and rate us on iTunes. It helps us out. We do this for free. I have an understanding wife who lets me come out and do this, and then I have to go to work very early the next day Mm -hmm. and pretend to be a normal human being. So if you get a chance and you were listening to this now, whether it be good, bad, or indifferent, write a review and rate us on iTunes. Even if it's bad? Listen... Uh, as long as I know people are actually listening to it. Alright. All press is good press. Alright, cool. Well, see you next week. Later, nerds. Later.